0: First Corinthians chapter twelve. I'm going to read the scriptures. You read aloud at home if you would, and I'm going to read to verse thirteen. And uh, as you see, certain words are recurring. Maybe take a pen out or highlighter and highlight those words. That's one one just very very good way of learning the, the study of the Bible. So it'll help you understand what exactly is going on in that chapter. And you're going to see a lot of words recur here that I'll mention to you tonight. First Corinthians chapter twelve. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. I would not have you ignorant. You know that you are Gentiles. Carried away into these dumb idols. Even as you were led. Wherefore I give you to understand. That no man speaking by the spirit of God. Calleth Jesus accursed. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord. But by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts. But the same Spirit. And there are differences of administration, but the same Lord. The word administration is the same word we get our word uh, serving from. It's the word di- diaconia. We get our word diaconos from it. The word deacon comes from that. It's talking about serving. There are differences of administration, but the same Lord. There are different diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. You should underline that verse. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge. To another, by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and has many members, And all the members of that one body, being many, are that one body, so also is Christ. Now, keep that in mind, what you just read in verse 12, as we get to verse 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. I'm going to preach a message tonight very simply entitled, Unwrapping Your Gifts. Unwrapping Your Gift. Invariably, if you are someone who has received a gift, whether you're a child or an adult, there's a little bit of a child, a little bit of a child in every adult. You want to open up that package and find out what's in it. You want to find out what that gift is, and if it's something very exciting to you, you want to put it to use. The necktie I'm wearing was a Christmas gift given to me or birthday gift given to me. That I'm wearing. I have a watch that was given to me as a gift. I'm wearing. You you enjoy those type of things. You enjoy gifts. And you use them uh, very well. And tonight we want to study the matter of spiritual gifts starting in verse 1. And I hope that we'll pay some attention. Even if you know what your gifts are, I think this is a very important study to understanding the right practice of those gifts. As we'll study that tonight in all of chapter 12. Bless your word, Lord. Use it great in our life. I pray for spiritual gifts to... Be, that our membership would be very cognizant of spiritual gifts. We pray for unity in the body. We pray that God, as the Spirit of God has given to us, as we read here, to every man severally as he will. We pray that our gifts uh, in, will be used greatly in the church, Lord, for the, uh, for the, the purpose of glorifying and pleasing God, and building up the body of Christ. We thank you for your church. We love your church. We love you. and We know you love your church. And we're praying tonight that you will help us in a great way, especially for those who've gone through discipleship learning and have studied this, Lord. This is a good time for us just to have a good review of the work of the Holy Spirit through the gifts of God. Well, thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You might want to mark down tonight in our study some other passages I encourage you to read. You want to read Romans chapter 12, verses 4 to 8. That accompanies this. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 15. But 1 Peter 4, verses 8 to 11. In our previous studies of 1 Corinthians, we've studied Paul's word of, and counsel regarding some really, really neat topics. He's dealt with preaching and wisdom. The work of the Holy Spirit and God's power. Future judgment, especially in the life of the believer. Present judgment see, uh, depicted through church discipline in the church. Moral behavior. Marriage, divorce, singlehood, and separation. He spent three chapters dealing with the issue of the right use of Christian liberty. We took some time to look at modesty. And we looked last week at the Lord's Supper. Chapters 11 to 14, as I mentioned last week in my introduction, chapters 11 to 14, he deals with the area of order in the church and key issues that were causing division and strife. And one of those areas is causing division and strife. We saw last week had to deal with the area of the Lord's table. One of them, a big one here, deals with chapter 12, 13, and 14. Dealing with the matter of spiritual gifts or the wrong use of spiritual gifts or the lack of use of spiritual gifts. There was great division in the church. Now, Paul starts out in verse 1 with this phrase, this statement. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Paul wrote to these believers in Corinth that he spent a lot of time teaching the Word of God. I want, to imagine, I want you to imagine with me just our, our discipleship process here at Heritage Baptist Church. And I, I feel like we do a very thorough process. I feel like we do a very detailed process. I feel like we do a very good question-answer process. I, uh, discipleship, for many, many years, has been one of my more enjoyable ministries, just sitting down and expounding the Word of God and teaching the Word and, and watching people grow and watching some of those same people going through discipleship that are now disciples right now. But one of the areas I felt is we've taught through discipleship that we have probably have underserved has been in the area of spiritual gifts. Every Christian, every Christian has been given a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is not the same as a natural gift. Playing the violin, singing, playing the piano, um, becoming uh, expert in the AV team with the cameras, uh, all these types of things that we do, natural things we do. Some guys are good with their hands, and they're very good with that, and, and some guys are very good with, with problem solving. Those are not spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are the gifts, the divine gifts of God through the Holy Spirit that are given to us for the specific purpose of helping the local church. God saved you to keep you out of hell. That, that's a blessing, amen? God saved you to keep you out of hell and give you a place in heaven. But God saved you for a purpose, and that purpose is that you would have a gift that is dominant, a gift that is developing, and a gift that's put to good use in the local church. Every Christian should be consumed and concerned about what is my spiritual gift. I'm hoping tonight that children will ask their moms and dads, Lord, what's my spiritual gift? How can I know what is the gift I have? I hope that some of who are perhaps just kind of uh, on the... pastors wanting to do more for the Lord and they're sitting around just wondering, what can I do more for the Lord? Your first thought would be, what is my spiritual gift and what am I doing with my gift to help edify the church of the living God? Now, when we look at our spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts enable every member to understand how we have an essential role in the church. It's how we develop and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul spent a minimum of 18 months building up the church in Corinth. The church at Corinth was actually a great church. had a great start. Great salvations. God trained up leaders through Paul. They were thoroughly ingrained in the Word of God. After he left, though, after he left, even though they had good teachers, believers who were talented and were blessed, and I... We probably have to say this, they probably did not have a successive pastor after them who probably had a, how should I say this, he probably didn't have the, the strength of Paul's personality and perhaps the, um, the persuasion of Paul's personality that uh, as a result of that, the believers there, uh, part of their carnality is there was power struggling and a lot of the power struggling that went on Revolved around the use or misuse or underuse of their spiritual gifts. And so, instead of building up one another, strife and jealousy came within there. And there was division. We read about this here in this chapter. These people had an incredible opportunity to be a great church, but they didn't capitalize on that. And in effect, in effect, what happened, instead of becoming a great church, they became a carnal church. Every every church where God's people are underutilizing their gifts or not, or their gifts are in conflict with one another, jeopardize the church from becoming a great church. From becoming the church that God wants to be. Now, if you're alive, you have my heart, you want, it, you want this church to be a great church, and it is a great church. You want this church to do great things for God. But for this church to do great things for God, every member of the church must drill, drill down very deep in their hearts and lives, to understand what is the spiritual gift or gifts God has given to you, and what are you doing with those gifts. You know, I thank God for every ministry of our church and what we're doing, and I'm looking forward to the day that most of these ministries will, be, will come back around and be just like they were before. But truthfully, more than any ministry, what we need more than anything else is for our people to understand what your spiritual gift is and using it for the glory of God. When Paul wrote these people, they were a failed church. Let me give you an example of that. Those of you who are basketball, uh, fanatics, if I can say that, might remember the 1990s that, uh, the, that, uh, the University of Michigan, which has turned out a lot of good basketball players, University of Michigan had a team that was called the Fab Five. Now the Fab Five included people like Chris Weber. And, uh, these guys in college, I mean, they, they probably, the Fab Five could have played an NBA professional team and held their own against those teams. The Fab Five that was studied, the journalists that studied them said, this is such a great, amazing team. We anticipate four straight NCAA championships. I mean, that's, that's how, that's how strong this team was. They anticipated four straight NCAA championships. The Fab Four went out and they won successive NCAA, uh, uh you know, they won, they won through, they made it to the tournaments. They got to the finals. But the team never one time that they were together. Not one time could they capitalize on the strength of the Fab Five to take a championship. They got to the finals. They were good, but they were not great. And that's the same thing with the church. The Fab Five got to the place where there was bickering and strife and comparisons. Eagles got in the way. And you know how it works with, with, with very, uh, with very, uh, very, very strong personality athletes. When ego gets in the way, forget it, it's a one-man team. And it's every man doing his own thing instead of them looking at themselves as a team. And so as a result of that, the, this team never made it as far as they could have. Now, I want you to consider the church at Corinth. There were those who were blessed with what they felt were superior gifts. And please understand, I'll say this tonight, Tonight, we're going to identify what we call the temporary gifts and the permanent gifts. Now, the temporary gifts we would, 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 would classify as the sign gifts. They were the gifts of prophecy and miracles, and speaking in tongues, which is which is a foreign language, um, speaking a foreign language at that time, which which was you know another tongue. And uh, and healing, those were the sign gifts. Those were temporary gifts because the Word of God was not complete. And uh, so those were gifts. there were manifestations God used for the advancement of the gospel at that time. It was only for that time period. They are, they are not in existence today. Regardless of what some people will tell you, they're not in existence today. So they're the sign gifts, but then they're the serving gifts and the speaking gifts that we have. And there are those who felt that their gifts were more superior to others, like the gift of, the, of prophecy and others. And as a result of that they looked down on those who had what they had what we would have called average gifts and uh, and you know, like the gift of ministry, the gift of serving. I, when I sit down and go over spiritual gifts with most people, I almost could tell in moments if they have the spirit, if they have the gift of ministry. I think most people have the gift of ministry. I think most people have the gift of serving. I mean, I, I think if anything in our church, we're blessed with people that just they have a desire to serve. They have the gift of ministry. But then you go beyond that, and you kind of look do they have the, do they have the gift of giving? And I can identify right now in our church the people who have the gift of giving. They 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 are extraordinary givers in terms of what they do. I can identify those who have faith. I can identify. Those who have the gift of administration uh, that are very strong in their organizational skills, they're very strong in that. And, uh, and again, those who serve in pastoral capacity, uh, they need to be very strong in those areas. They need to have that. It may not be a dominant gift, but they need to be strong in those areas. And if you're not, if you're serving the ministry, you need, you need to straight that that needs to be a developing gift that you have. But you can tell what those are. You can tell those who have the gift of evangelism in terms of a church planter, a missionary, or a great soul winner out there, where they just, they have, that God is using them in a, in a way to, to bring in people to the church. That doesn't mean that soul winning is that, 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 that you have to have the gift of evangelism to be a sow winner. Every Christian should be a soul winner, by the way. I said every Christian should be a soul winner. Every Christian should be burned about winning souls. But the gifty badges is some that they just have the ability to where they can they can either on a on a broad level basis, on a congregational basis, or in a in a um one-on-one that God blesses and uses them in a way where they just have this ability to explain the gospel. I think of today, just, uh, Dr. Curtis Hudson. Dr. Curtis Hudson is a very strong gift of evangelist, had a very strong gift of the evangelist. He had the ability of doing, doing one-on-ones and campaigns and winning people to Christ. I think of my good friend, Dr. Paul Chappell. Dr. Chappell is a very strong gift of evangelist, of the evangelist. I mean, he's not an evangelist, but he, but he, but he has this ability of winning souls to Christ. I think of Dr. John Getch. God has used him in a great way. I think of, I, I think of our, our, of, of several evangelists. We've had Dr. Don- Tom Farrell definitely has the gift of the evangelist where he's preached the gospel. Uh, Dr. Lou Rossi, I think of men like that. I mean, uh, Dr. Ron Comfort. These men have the true gift of the evangelist being able to preach very clearly the message of God and God is using them to win many, many, many people to Christ here. But again, when we look at this, there were those who felt they had a very dominant gift and they looked down on others. And so there was was problems. There was problems in the church. Gifts were not meant for the church to be a strife. Gifts were meant so the church could synergize and unify and be used of God. So we're going to see some things tonight about the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul starts off with verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. They knew about them, but they needed a review. So tonight there's one or two things. Maybe three things. Number one, spiritual gifts tonight, the, the lesson may be completely new to you. You might learn some things that you've not learned before. And that's a good thing. Amen? That's a good thing. I'm going to encourage parents tonight, you need to sit down over dinner, maybe the next several nights, with your children and talk about spiritual gifts. Because part of being spiritually, spiritually healthy is understanding your gift and realizing it's a gift from God and, put, and allowing the Holy Spirit to put it to work. So number one, it might be new to you. Number two, it might be a review for you. Now, if it's a review for you, the other question you have to ask is that is that, you know, what am I doing with the gift if I unwrap my gift? Number three, it might be that you are using your gift, but maybe you have not given, uh, given in, you haven't been given insight into maybe other gifts that you have, and that maybe those gifts need to be developed and used for the glory of God. So we're going to see some things tonight, okay? Notice four things tonight, very quick, if you have your notes out. Number one, I want you to see the distributor. I want you to see the distributor. Now, we start off here... And we notice some key words. One of the key words is the word body. Now the body here is being used as an analogy or metaphor to describe the church. It speaks about Jesus Christ, but it's referring to the church. The word body. The word body is used 18 times. Predominantly verses 12 to 27. That's a very important metaphor we have to understand tonight. Number two, we're going to see the word... We see the word members. It's not talking about church members. It's talking about members of the body. The head, the hands, the feet, the ears, the nose, toes. The word members is used ten times. We see the word gift is used six times. We see the word many is used four times. We see the word same used seven times. But notice... The word spirit, capitalized, is used 11 times. Now, can I say this tonight as we study spiritual gifts? We must not lose sight that the Holy Spirit, who's the third person of the Godhead, co-equal with God, co-eternal with God, and co-essential with God, that the Holy Spirit is the dominant member of the Godhead in this chapter. And we must remember, it's a working of the Spirit. So the distributor tonight is the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is the one who distributes these gifts. Now, I want you to see some things tonight that we need to understand about the Holy Spirit. Number one, what you notice in verses 7 to 13, notice the baptism of the Spirit. The Bible says in verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit, of the Holy, of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. Now, this is speaking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The profit withal means for the benefit of. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The Holy Spirit, we are baptized with the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion. Jesus spoke about, John the Baptist spoke about the baptism of the Spirit in Matthew 3.11, Mark 1.8. Luke 3.16 and Jesus reinforced that in Acts 1.5. Spirit baptism was prophesied by John the Baptist and confirmed by our Lord. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether it be Jew or Gentile, whether it be bond or free, and been all made to drink in one spirit. Now watch this. We are baptized into Jesus Christ. We are baptized into Him. We are baptized. The baptism represents the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. Every person who confesses, who makes a confession of calling on Jesus Christ as Lord, Jesus Christ as Savior, excuse me, is, is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit lives inside that person. It, it, it happens immediately. It doesn't happen to stage. Now no. It happened, it was deferred in the book of Acts by reason of the, of the unfolding of the church here. But today, the Holy Spirit indwells all of us. Let me say this today. In Acts chapter 2, we have the, the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God came upon the believers there that were assembled in the upper room. That was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand something. The day of Pentecost was not the birth of the church. It was the baptism of believers. The birth of the church occurred with our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll read a lot of Protestant commentators and a lot of a lot of Protestant liter- literature that will tell you that, that the church was birthed. And even some Baptists, because they haven't really studied this out, they'll tell you the birth of the church happened the day of Pentecost. That was not true. The birth of the church occurred with Jesus Christ. You go back to Matthew Sixteen eighteen. He talked about the ecclesia right there. In fact, you can actually go back to Matthew chapter ten, and he called out these men. That was the nucleus, the start of his local New Testament church. There, he baptized those men, and then they baptized others. We read about them baptizing Jesus' disciples, baptizing there over there in um, over there in John, in John chapter uh, chapter four. There, so I'm just saying tonight, the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurred uh, occurred on the day of Pentecost. There, so. We must understand tonight that the baptism spirit is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God in every believer. Now you can study that a little bit more yourself. He talks about here the manifestation spirit, and when we are baptized, we're baptized into one body, we're baptized into Jesus Christ. Now notice this here. The baptism spirit, uh, is used by Pentecostals in talking about the filling of the spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, to be correct, is not the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that you need to be very correct about. Now, you talk to a Pentecostal person and they'll say that. You go back to the old time literature, even R.A. Torrey, who I respect and I've read many of his books. R.A. Tori refers to the baptism of the Holy Spirit as the filling of the Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, doctrine speaking, is not the same as the filling of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit is when we possess the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is when He possesses you. He has control of you. The filling of the Spirit... We need, over and over again, the filling of the Spirit is a repeated experience, okay? It's just like drinking water. You get depleted, you need to be refilled again. But the baptism of the Spirit is a once and for all event that happens in salvation. So we notice here tonight that as we look at this distributor, the first thing we start with is the baptism of the Spirit. Why do we have spiritual gifts? Because we're indwelt by the Spirit, but it gets better than that. Notice secondly, we not only see the baptism of the Spirit, we see the broadcast of the Spirit. Look at verse 3. Now in verse 3, what we're going to read here is that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the, is the capability and the enablement of God and, ident- and enables a believer to identify himself with Jesus Christ. Notice what he says here. I'm going to teach you a couple of things here. Wherefore, I give you to understand, again, they need to understanding about this, that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. Let me stop there. In verse 2 and 3, verse 2, the Corinthians, before they were saved, they were carried away, or let's say controlled, and influenced by idols. Corinth was a demon-infested city. There was oppression. You look at our cities that have riots and violence and stuff. Let me tell you something. There's more to it than what you see physically. It's an oppressed city. It's a city that's demonized. Demons are at work through these things. And you notice here he's saying, ye were given unto dumb idols. By the way, if you read Acts chapter 18, they rioted against Paul. They rioted against the preaching of the gospel. He said you were controlled, you were carried away, you were led by, by, by these, by, by these idols there. And so because of that, anything contrary to the worship of idols, they called a curse, anathema. Now, the Jews, it was a known practice that the Jews, in their synagogue prayers, they would call anyone who didn't adhere to Judaism an apostate, and they would call them accursed. So I want you to understand something. The reason why Paul went to the synagogues and preached the gospel, and the reason why there was great hostility against Paul, the gospel in that first century was considered accursed. Because even Galatians 3.13, if any man... Well, hung on a tree, we know about that's referred to the cross, and they went back to Deuteronomy, because Deuteronomy called any man who hung on a tree being cursed. They considered Jesus Christ a cursed or anathema. I mean, the, uh, the Jews who were apostates, they basically were very hostile to Paul, and very hostile to Jesus Christ. Their very prayers in their synagogues were that they called Jesus Christ accursed. They were not controlled by the Spirit of God. They were not controlled by the Lord. But notice he said in verse three, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, he's talking about the transformation that occurs in a person's life when Jesus Christ lives inside of them and the spirit of God is inside of them. He's saying when Christ is in you, you can't help but want to acknowledge Christ As Lord of your life. Someone who's not saved will not acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. Someone who is saved, who has the Spirit of God dwelling in them, will acknowledge that. A good example of that is Polycarp, one of our early church fathers, who was a disciple of the Apostle John. They put him on a stake and they told him, call Jesus Christ a curse him. And if you know the words of Polycarp, he said, how could I? He said, all these years he's been good to me. He has saved me. How can I call him a cursed? He is my Lord and he's my Savior. Listen, I'm thankful tonight that under pressure, there are some pastors right now going through some pressures. They're acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord. We just got a report again of Christians being being slaughtered and killed in, this, in the country of Pakistan. They've called Jesus Christ Lord. We got a report of Christians recently again who are being slaughtered and kill in the country of Nigeria. They're acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord. They're being told to recant their belief and call, call upon Allah as their God and, 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 to, and to renounce the Bible. And, they, and, they, and they, as, as true Christians they're saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. They're only able to do that by the Spirit of God. So we understand the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Holy, the Holy Spirit working in us enables us to do that. I want you to consider this also though. He says, Jesus that no man can say that Jesus is Lord. Back in those days The word that was used for Lord is the word kurios. The word kurios was a word that was assigned or ascribed to Caesar. The Romans, the Grecians, people that day, they would say Caesar's Lord. They would acknowledge there was only one Lord. When, when the Christ, when Christianity came about and they said Jesus is Lord, that was a slap in the face of Caesar. That, that was, that took great courage and bonus. That courage and boldness could only come about by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. And by the way, if you're taking a stand for God and living for Him and you can say Jesus Christ is Lord, thank God that that's a testimony of the Spirit of God working in your life there. We see the broadcast of the Spirit. But notice, thirdly, we see the bond of the Spirit. And this is where we get the spiritual gifts. The goal of the Spirit of God living in every believer and working cohesively through the local church, and I mean that very strongly, cohesively through the local church, is to bring about unity in the church. Now, Paul put it this way in Ephesians 4.3, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The Spirit indwelling us, the Spirit working your heart and my heart, is for the purpose of peace and unity in the church. Notice verse 4. The same Spirit. Verse 5, the same Lord. Verse 6, the same God. Paul pulls all this together. Notice in chapter 12, verses 25 to 27. The working of the Holy Spirit through spiritual gifts is that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or whether one member be, be honored, all the members rejoice with it. We we had a staff meeting this morning kind of, kind of working on a few things. And we talked briefly about some people that are in need of prayer and so forth. And there was just a camaraderie among all the staff members there about those who are suffering. You know, we all felt the pain and felt the need of just wanting to be by that person's side there. there there's when, when you know The work of the Holy Spirit is when you, when you hear of the plight of somebody in the body of Christ, it should touch your heart. You may not know that person by faith. But just hearing their name about their plight, that should move you. That should cause you to be concerned about their need. He goes on by saying verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. Paul began his treatise on, on, on spiritual gifts in Romans chapter 12 by saying the following. In Romans 12 verses 4 to 5. For as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office... So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. So we see tonight that there's the working of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the distributor of gifts, because of my way of the baptism of the Spirit, when we are, when the Holy Spirit indwells us at conversion, He works through us through our, through the, through our testimony of Christ as Lord, but He works through spiritual gifts, and through the through the through the members of the body of the local church and producing or effecting unity in that body. Now we see the distributor, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives the gifts. Notice number two, we see the diversity of gifts. Now here in our passage, as we read earlier, there are diverse, there are diversity gifts. There are many gifts. We are to be united, but not at the expense of uniformity. Uniformity is so that all of what we do blends together for a spiritually healthy church. And let me, let me say something about that tonight. The heartbeat of this membership, Heritage Baptist Church, is for a spiritually healthy church. Whether you're watching by live stream, and as we're slowly moving towards reassembly, in person, God's desire is that you're a spiritually healthy Christian. God's desire is this church is a spiritually healthy church. He doesn't want a fractured church. He doesn't want broken bones. He doesn't want somebody out here that's kind of just out on their own. He wants a spiritually healthy church. And so there are diversity of gifts. Notice what the Bible says. There are many gifts. We're going to look at them in a minute. There are minister, they are ministering gifts. The gifts were not given to be dormant. The gifts are given for service. So let's qualify something tonight to be biblically correct. Serving the Lord is worshiping the Lord. And serving the Lord is putting our gifts to proper use for His glory. I have the gift of pastoring. I have the gift of ministration. I have a gift of what I would call prophecy, not for that I'm able to tell the future or anything like that, but able to see things and and be able to look at certain things and say, I think this is where it's going to go. I was telling the staff today, I I just kind of feel like I think this COVID thing, it's not going to go away. I think we're going to be in this, this condition for maybe another year. We need to make plans for that. And trying to anticipate things, you know, having the gift of prophecy, trying to anticipate what's going on there and forecasting some things and, and having the leadership of those families. I mean, I, I, you know, I have, a, I have a pretty good sense of my gift. I have a gift of ministry. I love to serve the Lord. But I'll tell you something tonight. When this church was started, we decided this church would follow the pattern of independent Baptist churches. Independent Baptist churches is supposed to be on fire for God. Independent Baptist Churches preach all the Bible. Independent Baptist Churches are marked by the fact that the Bible is our authority. Independent Baptist Churches are marked by strong evangelism, and so many. Independent Baptist Churches are marked for contending for the faith once delivered for the saints. Independent Baptist Churches are marked by their separation. Separation is not a popular topic. I'm not interested in being popular. I'm interested in being biblical. I'm interested in being obedient. But independent Baptist churches are marked by the preaching of God's Word. We have church because of preaching. What brings you to church is preaching. I said this today to our staff, and I'm going to tell you tonight. Your reason for coming to church should not be for community. Your reason for coming to church is Jesus Christ. You want more of Jesus. You want more of Jesus than you had before you came in. You want to live with more of Jesus when you go out. You want to leave this service tonight knowing that you got more of Jesus Christ through the preaching of His Word there. Now if I as a pastor start regressing on preaching, and I do like the new evangelicals, they only have one message they do a week, I'm not using my gift. If I have staff members who are called to preach, and they're not preaching at least twice a week, then I'm wasting their time. They're not putting their gift to use. You've got a gift of help, you have a strong gift of mercies, you're not trying to help our senior saints or people that are hurting. Your gift is sitting dormant. You have a gift of giving and you're hoarding instead. You're not using your gift. I mean, I could go on and on and on with all these gifts. We're going to look at them tonight. I'm just saying tonight, your gift must be put to use. They are ministering gifts for God. He said, well, pastor, we're into COVID-19. So? Since when does COVID-19 have precedent over the ministering gifts? Let's stop using COVID-19 as an excuse. Amen. We're hiding behind COVID-19. There's a cure for COVID-19. You know what that is? Revival. My people, which are called by my name, you're called by his name if you're saved. So humble themselves. You know why you don't want to come to church? You need to humble yourself and say, you know what? There may be the risk, but if I wear a face mask and I listen to what pastor says and I social distance and I stay in my chair and I go out the door like he says and I leave like he says and I don't bing around, I guarantee you, you would reduce your risk of COVID by 99.9%. You said, why not 100%? Because nothing's risk free. Well, I'm scared of getting that 0.1%. Well, you gotta have faith in God. Amen. Put your mask on. If you're really scared, put two masks on. Amen? I'll give you a face shield too. Amen? I say that I'm not being facetious. I'm just saying tonight, hey, you know what? We have to understand what we're supposed to be doing here. Now, notice the priority in this diversity. The Look at verses 14 to 20 because I've got to summarize this real quickly. The priority in this diversity is that every member sees their gift as a blessing from God to minister to one another. So notice, if you would, let's look at it for a minute. Look at verse fourteen, verse fifteen. He talks about the members of the body, and he compares the he uses the the metaphor, the analogy of 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 of, of our of our organs, or if you would. So he talked about he says in verse 15, now he says, starts in verse 14, for the body's not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? I mean, that's kind of ludicrous to say, well, you know, I'm not part of the body, so I don't need to do my function. <laughs> well, you know, you know what it is tonight? If your foot's not working, you ain't walking, amen? You ain't going nowhere there, right? Okay? And then he said, he said, uh, excuse me for the bad English, but that just goes with the preaching tonight, amen? In verse 16, and if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, am I not of the body? Is it different on the body? If your eye wakes and one day and says, I don't want to see today, I don't want to help you look for things, is that going to really happen? But if you wake up, your eyes, you know, you've got pus in your eye, you can't see, I mean, you've got something going on, I mean, you know that's a problem there. He's just saying here, there's a priority. Now look at verse 18. He talks about the foot and hand and the ear and eye. And he says, verse 18, but now... Has God set the members, every one of them in the body, as His pleasing? Now, that's a great thought. God has set every member in the body as it is pleasing. You know what? Regardless of what you think about other people, God has uniquely put every one of us in the body for his pleasure, not for somebody else's pleasure. That is important. You know, we look down on people. We get like those Pharisees. Because... You know, we're in our phylacteries. <laughs> and we forget, verse 18, God has set every member of the body as it has pleased Him. Sometimes someone will say, I don't know how you pastor I me, mean, the stuff you deal with. And I tell them, I don't either, either. except for the, it's by the grace of God. Because God has set the members in the body as it has pleased Him. So we misunderstand. these are God's people. Notice verse, verse 19. And if they were all one member, we're with the body. Now, the, the church is not composed of one single hand. We're not all hands. Thank God for that. Amen. And thank God we're not all little toes. Amen. And thank God we're not, we're not all noses. Okay. Maybe a lot of nosies, but not a lot of noses. Amen. You know. And maybe we're not all elbows. But I'll tell you this. There are many members. And you don't realize in your body, your physical body, how important every member it is until it hurts, right? You ever you ever drop something on your foot? It hurts. Right? You ever you ever cut a finger, a deep cut, and it throbs? You can't put it in water, you stop the bleeding, but it's throbbing the next day, and all of a sudden you start realizing that finger, man, that finger is pretty important to me, (laughs) man. And what he's saying here, if we're all one members, what's the need for a body? Hey, a body's composed of many members. I mean, every part of the body is important there. He says, now notice verse 20. But now are they many members, yet one body. Members are mutually dependent upon one another. First, we cannot come to church thinking everybody needs me. And if I'm not there, it's going to fall apart. That is a wrong attitude. We need God. Every member is dependent upon one another. Now, that's a great thought when you think about those members of the body who are insecure and feel like they can't do anything and they wonder what they can do. It's knowing that we're mutually dependent upon one another. There's a sense of meaning. I'm coming to, you know, it's just like old Mrs. Schmidt. Thank God for Mrs. Smith. I can't do much, Pastor, but I can pray. Now, pray's not a spiritual gift. That's a requirement. But thank God she prays. But I'll tell you what she does also. Do you know she she, knit, she makes these dolls to the give to children? Some of you ladies, I'm, I'm looking to meet tonight. You, some of your children got a Some of you need a doll. Amen. You know, so I've got a bunch of my office if you need one there. Amen. You know. I, she's made these lap coverings for the ladies. I mean, here's a lady, 94 years old. She's busy. Reads her Bible through. You know, we have to mutually depend upon one another. Something else I want to see in this party. Diversity of gifts is essential if the body's going to be healthy to live, grow, and serve. Now, God... God has given to every church exactly at that moment of time. Everything a church needs to grow. If everybody's here at church, we've got 600 people here including children. Maybe more. We take our core. Our core is around 400, 450 people. We have everybody we need to take this church to the next level. And we've got to get out of this 80-20-20-80 imbalance rule that happens with every organization. The priority is many members, one body. Secondly, notice the promotion. And the diversity against us is the promotion. Look at verses 21-26. No member should consider another member as unnecessary. Now, I'll tell you honestly, from a carnal standpoint, that's pretty hard. Because carnality comes in the church. There are just some members who come who have a different way of thinking. Some who are just maybe because of their background, they just come across as being very disgruntled and uh, just disenchanted, disillusioned, and don't know what to tell you about that. There's some who are weak. Some who are kind of just, they don't feel, feel like they fit mainstream. Here's what the Bible says. Look at verse 27. Look at verse 22. He says, nay, much more of those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. You know what he's saying there? Even those who seem very weak and feeble, they may be up in years. They may have gone through disabilities. They may have a speech impediment. They don't have great personalities, and they know it. They don't have great serving abilities, but they have a spiritual gift. And he says, they may be feeble, and they're feeble. By the way, let me just say this tonight. There are children, teenagers, and college students we're not using their gifts the way they can, because maybe some of us of adults ha- are holding them back. We're holding them back. We're not helping to develop, and we're not getting them out there. And so the, the end result, look at what the verse 22 says. He says, that, he says they, they may seem more feeble. In other words, maybe their maturity, maybe their age, whatever it may be. He, Paul said, hey, they're necessary. Look at verse 23. The members we think are less honorable, he says, we bestow more abundant honor upon. Hey, you know that analogy I use about hurting your foot, dropping a weight on your foot? Hey, you give a lot of tension to that foot after you that foot's hurting, don't you? Don't, don't you? Right? You, you, you pull a tendon to your leg, you pull a, you pull a muscle, somewhere, there, you put a lot of tension on that, don't you? I mean, you, you, you're very careful about that because you don't want to re-injure it because it's very, it's, very, it's very tender. Look what he says verse 23. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable upon these... He says we bestow more abundant honor and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Notice verse 24. God has tempered the body together, giving more abundant honor to that part which lacks. Do you know what he says there? Our flesh looks at something and says, you know what? I don't know. But God says we give honor to it. we, we, We work with it. But God's involved with it as we pray about our spiritual gifts and we pray about the gifts of our church. He says God tempers the body together. You know what he's saying there? It's not dependent upon us. To put everything together, it's God who puts everything together. It's God who bonds it. God who blends it. God who makes it happen there. He says in verse 25, why? Look at verse 25. That there should be no schisms in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. He said in verse 26, we suffer together and rejoice together. You know what he's saying there? There's the priority of diversity, but there's the promotion in diversity. Diversity of gifts means we come with the spirit of serving. It's saying we come with the spirit to help promote the development and the exercise of the gifts of other members of the body. I read the story about a man who was visiting a village in India. And they took him to a leper colony. He was observing everything. And they're reminding says, you know, it's not contagious, you don't have to worry about it, but, you know, if you feel a little unsafe, just stand here, just watch things. He's just watching people going around doing their things. I mean, it was a leper colony, but people were just busy doing their things. Noontime, they sounded a large gong. And it was a sound, everybody needed to come for their village meal. Everybody summed together for a meal. Everyone came from all areas of that compound to the dining hall. What they thought was everybody assembling, they thought everybody assembled there. Everybody was there. They weren't all there. They were waiting. The doors open. Two men come in, and they're laughing. One is carrying the other one on his back. He's got him by the legs. He's carrying by the back. They're coming in laughing. The whole crowd in there starts laughing. And they're having a good time. They're playing like horsey, you know, like the ones on the other side. I mean, it's two grown men. One of the ones back, the other one, he's walking in. And the visitor's looking at this and he's thinking, it's lunchtime, what are these two clowns doing? I mean, he thought they were clowns. And the man says, hey, don't be alarmed. This happens every meal. He says, you see the man that's carrying the one man? He says, yeah, that man is blind. He can't see. He was born that way. And he's leprosy. You see the man he's carrying? That man can see, but he can't walk. The leprosy has totally incapacitated the nerves in his legs. And the visitor understood something. The one who could see was helping the one who couldn't walk. The one who couldn't walk was helping the one who couldn't see. Can I tell you something tonight? That's exactly what we're supposed to be doing with our spiritual gifts. That's exactly what we're supposed to be doing with our spiritual gifts. That's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. The local church. There's the praise and the diversity. Look at verses twenty-seven to thirty. Now you are the body of Christ. Now bear in mind, he's talking to the church of Corinth. This chapter is taken out of context by many, many Protestants and going towards the universal church mindset. This is talking to a local church and your members in particular. He talked about these these gifts, these offices. Notice verse 30. Have all the gifts of healing? Do you all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? He says, hey, listen, we're not all doing the same thing. And he says, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now, let me tell you this here tonight. We are the body of Christ, the members in particular. We're to covet. If we're going to covet anything, this is the only time the coveting is used in the Bible that covets something great. We're to covet the best gifts and put them to use. The diversity of gifts is for the praise and the honor of God. In worship, in worship, when everyone's using their gifts in the local church context, God is praised and honored. We see the distributor. We see the diversity quickly tonight. Would you notice the description? I'm going to run through this real quickly because we don't have time to get into because each one of these is a separate one. There's the there is the temporary gift of the apostles. The apostles, the apostles were foundational. By the way, there are no apostles today. Can I just say that? Yeah, no apostles, because they haven't seen the resurrected Christ. But they were foundational. They provided the leadership. Getting the churches established. There are no apostles today. There are prophets. Now, prophets in those days received instantaneously messages from God. We receive messages from God. They're called, It's called studying the Word of God. Amen. <laughs> Man was praying one day. He says, "Lord, how come you didn't give me a message?" God answered. Because you didn't study. And remind you today that back in that day, there were some who had to get the gift of prophets. They had the, the ability to, uh, foretell. <laughs> that gift was used of God. Those prophets were used, were used of God to exhort, to edify, and to comfort. Now, look at chapter 14 verse 3. This is how the gift of prophecy was to be used. Chapter 14, verse 3. He that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Now, foretelling does not exist. We speak of the gift of prophecy as the, the ability to foretell of preaching God's Word. There's the gift of teaching. Now, depending how you study it out, there could be the separate gift of teaching, the ability of being able to teach... Or in Ephesians four, it's pastors and teachers. I hold to the position that pastors and teachers are talking about. A, a serving pastor must also be a good teacher. He must also have the gift of teaching. I think they go together. Pastoring and teaching must go together. There, so there's the pastor teacher. But basically, the the ability of teaching the doctrines and response to the Word of God, the ability of communicating God's God's word clearly. Pastoring and teaching are gifts that exist today. Pastoring is the gift of shepherding over God's flock. The gift of the evangelist, and let me just say this again, the gift of the evangelist does not mean you should not sow one. The gift of evangelist, is those, those men who have been clearly given the ability of winning souls to Christ. I even think some women have the gift of evangelist, the gift of the evangelist in the sense they have this uncanny ability of being able to lead people to Christ. They have the just ability of clearly explaining the gospel. God can use them in a special way there. And so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the, the, but, but by the way, the Bible says do the work of evangelist to every one of us. The gift of miracles no longer exists, but miraculous happens. Look at Peter and Paul's ministry. The gift of healings, again, they no longer exist where they were to lay hands. I mean, Peter, we read about that in Acts chapter 5, they laid their hands on people. Or Paul in Acts chapter 14, he helped a lame man to walk. And Paul, Peter in, in Acts chapter 3, he helped a layman to walk. But those miracles no longer, those gifts of healing no longer exist today. Now we believe there can be healing. God does the healing. We believe in divine healing. There are tongues which included the, the, the speaking in a language and the interpretation thereof. Okay, we don't believe that exists anymore, any longer there. Now, we'll get into this gibberish aspect of things a little bit later on in another messenger, but believe that the gift of tongues, per se, does not exist. Now, the gift of wisdom still exists. He speaks about the gift of wisdom. This is decision-making, foresight. I just wrote a Godmore devotion next that will show up next week on Proverbs chapter 2 about the knowledge of God, how wisdom is part of the knowledge of God. You need to read this so you can understand how God gives us wisdom and how God develops wisdom in our life. Uh, the gift of knowledge... Knowledge, understanding God's work and making application, Uh, the gift of faith, believing God for what he wants to accomplish for his church or in your individual life, the discerning of spirits. There are some who could discern false teachers immediately. They just kind of know what's out there on that. Uh, There's the gift of ministry. I believe pastors need to have the gift of the discerning of spirits, the gift of ministry. I think most Christians, not all, have the gift of ministry, being able to serve the gift of exhortation. Hey, aren't you glad for some who could come alongside of you and just encourage you? Some have that great gift of exhortation. They're great encouragers. Uh, there's the gift of giving, where the person might be physically or just through their spirit. They have a giving spirit. The gift of leadership, ruling, or government. The gift of uh, mercy, helping others in need. There are just some. And by the way, I, I think it's been said, I've said this before in the pulpit, I think some have jokingly said, I don't have a strong gift of mercy, so therefore they downplay uh, having a gift of mercy. I, I don't believe that's something to be joking about. I think, I think a gift of mercy is very important. They're hurting members of the body that need, need our help there. There's a gift of mercy. Uh, the diverse, I'm just saying tonight, the, the, you know, we, there's, there's, the diversity of gifts means that there's, there's all these different gifts that are described here. We can spend more time on it. Here's what you should do. In your notes tonight, we gave you spiritual gifts test. Now it's not, it is not, there's no spiritual gift test that's going to get down to the science what you have. It's meant and designed to help you ascertain through a lot of questions and answers, what exactly are your gifts? And we can work you through that. But let me just say this today. You know, some some gifts are in development stage. And you need to work out, you need to determine what it is that God wants to do and let him develop it in. You've got to put it to use. You've got to exercise it. Now, nobody who has a spiritual gift is perfect in that gift. Those gifts are always in the process of God working through us there. But you must the description of gifts, the Bible gives us these gifts, and these were dominant gifts in the church at Corinth, are given so that we can understand our part as members in building up the body for God's glory. Finally tonight, would you notice the discovery of the gifts? And we're done. Look at verse 31. Covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet showing unto you a more excellent way, Our mission tonight, our exercise for the next few days, what is your gift? What's your gift? What are your gifts? Do you need counsel on how to put it to use? If you are unfulfilled and frustrated as a believer, I'll tell you why. Number one, it's your walk with God. Number two is you have not worked with your spiritual gift, not put your spiritual gift to use. Really what it comes down to. If you're dormant, and by the way, if you don't even have an excitement about these things, my real question to you is, is the Spirit of God living inside of you? Because Romans 8, 9 says, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. And we began tonight by talking about the distributor who's the Holy Spirit of God, and you must make sure that the, that you're saved because if you're not saved, God's spirit is not living in you and you don't have you don't have any identity with Jesus Christ until you get saved. Niccolo Paganini was a great violinist. The day came when he was going to retire from playing And the violin that he used for years was going to be retired. He willed that famous violin to the city of Genoa, Italy. He made one stipulation. I'm going to will my violin that thrilled audiences across Europe. His stipulation was this. I'm willing my violin to the city of Genoa... On the stipulation that it's never played again. It was a gift designated for preservation, but not destined for service. And my closing thought to you tonight, is your gift designated for preservation, or is it being put to use for service? Our churches in this 21st century, are suffering because members are selfish. They're not putting their gifts to use. They have not found their place in the body of Christ. And your goal tonight, our exercise, is to discover your gift. Be a healthy Christian. Contribute to the overall spiritual well-being and health. Of the body of Christ here at Heritage Baptist Church. Because that's what glorifies God. You say, well, how am I going to do it? The Lord said in the last verse here, I will show you a more excellent way. Would you let Him work in your life tonight? And if you're not saved tonight, I invite you this evening to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior. To save you from your sins. So that the Spirit of Christ could dwell in you. All you have to do tonight is repent. And tell the Lord, I repent of my sins. Lord, I confess, I am a terrible sinner. And tell him by faith you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again from the dead. And that you accept him tonight to be your Savior. You know what? Tonight, on this 23rd day of September, you can be born again into God's family. You'll be a a child of God and heaven's your home. Christian friend, would you kneel where you're at tonight, at home? And take this chapter, not only just read it, but pray over it. Are you doing all you can to build up the body of Christ? To contribute towards the work of God, so we have a healthy body. I encourage you to do so. If you're someone just anxious to do something with your gift, text me on the prayer works line or text me at my number if you have my number. Let me know what we can do to help you. Let, let the sponsors know. Let the youth pastor know. Let our college director know. Let, our, whoever may, let our, our discipleship director know. Whoever it may be, let our men know how we can help you tonight. And I promise you we'll help you develop, work with you with God's help to developing that gift for the glory of God.